0: It's July 2018, and the state of Massachusetts has given out its first recreational license to sell adult-use marijuana. Cause for celebration? Well, don't bogart that joint just yet. Lester's Cultivate gets the prize, but doesn't have a license to grow it yet. Huh? This is what happens when government gets involved with a business they just don't understand. Just ask Attorney General Mara Healy, who wants to give towns in Massachusetts more rights to slow down this process. Once again, voters speak to allow recreational use of cannabis in the state, but the government treats this new fledgling industry like a necessary evil. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. This podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and the clnsmedia.com network. You can also find the video recording of this entire program on the brand new, drumroll please, theweedtube.com. In studio with me now is the man that a lot of people are calling the official guru of the cannabis business industry. His name is Robert Karp. Bob, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for having me, Jimmy. And I've heard so many things about you, and I look forward to chatting with you about this. And I guess the first and the most obvious question, let me give a little background first before I get into the questions. Just because, you know, you've earned the right to be called that for a number of reasons. Well, we'll see. He is a former high-tech entrepreneur of the year, a Harvard-trained government scientist, which fascinates me unto itself. Uh, Yeah, he got a Harvard Law degree. He's a practicing attorney in the Boston, Massachusetts area and is a frequent speaker nationwide on the Cannabis Business Association. He's got a number of different books out, including the Marijuana Business Operations Guide. It is the leading guide in Amazon's category for this topic. And yes, he heads up a law group here in the greater Boston area, and they call it the Industry Bible, Bob. How in the world did you get started in the cannabis industry? Talk to me about that.
1: Um, Well, a while ago, I was... um working at a law school in California that I actually founded. California isn't one of the only states in the union where you don't physically have to go to a brick and mortar school. So I had been in the internet, um, had leverage there, and I started a law school. And while mm. I was doing this, meeting a lot of different people, and all of them had the same question. Can you help me? I'm in the cannabis business. It's a legal maze. Regulations seem like they contradict each other. We don't know what to do. We want to get in. We want to be compliant and my initial reaction was very simply no I'm a middle-aged tax lawyer uh, It doesn't really fit my profile not my wheelhouse eventually it just the pounding of my door just became so often so frequent I said <clears throat> why am I throwing away this money so I finally said yes I'll start helping you so I got involved in helping create the corporate governance back then it was a cooperative in California I just started learning the regulations started helping people put together applications, operating agreements, operating procedures, pro formas, business plans, and I realized at that point I had sufficient content to hopefully put together something that would be very useful and had already cost a lot of people a tremendous amount of money in trying to figure it out. So I wrote the Marijuana Business Operations Guide. It's a 340-page book. It has a 40-page business plan in it that I like to consider bulletproof. And when I say bulletproof, I've had clients raise countless tens of millions of dollars with it, so I know bankers will accept it, and I know the industry works
0: with it. Speaking of banks, uh, how frustrating is it for an operator who wants to start a business and then can't find a place to start a business account? Now I give the Sloan family here in Century Bank uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, a little credit because they have, I believe, done some businesses with some business with dispensaries, but. How in the world can a new industry or a new business start without a place to put the money? It's very
1: difficult, if almost impossible, because essentially you're paying all your creditors in cash. Kudos to the Sloans, but the Sloans have extracted a price. When they first started, for the privilege of depositing your money into their bank, it was $5,000 a month plus all the ancillary fees. In defense of them, there is compliance they must go through, but because of their size, the compliance is not necessarily that draconian. So for example, I go in to put money into a uh, marijuana-based account. First things first, they have to file what's known as an SAR, Suspicious Activity Report. That then gets kicked upstairs to what's known as a Marijuana Suspicious Activity Report, what the feds are actually looking for is insurance that the banker knows and complies with the patriot patriot act they know who they're dealing with and the source of the money secondly they want to make sure that the operation is state compliant if it's not that gives the feds the right to go and investigate if it is state compliant they don't have the money the dea was stripped of that money by the fire Back amendment so there is protection for banks, but not a lot of banks are jumping into it just yet, despite the fact it's going to become a very, very lucrative profit center. The issue is most of them, as well-established as they are, have very large blue-chip clients that have made rumbling noises about the fact they don't, do not want to be associated with a bank that's currently dealing in cannabis.
0: And that has to change at some point, and when we have a populace that's now 61 percent in favor of legalization of cannabis. We have nine states that have legalized it, and more than half have some kind of a medical program. At some point, and will it be, you know, sooner rather than later, they're going to reclassify this drug, this medicine, and will that help. Obviously, it's going to help. But I mean, what will be the ripple effect? And is that the first step that has to happen? They have to reschedule it and declassify it as a schedule one substance.
1: You know, a lot of people believe that, Jimmy, and it is a logical approach. But I do not necessarily embrace that logic. And let me explain why. Right now, there's a plurality of states that have legalized marijuana. There's over 30. Consequently, we know that there's enough, hopefully, legislative power that could get this done. It has not happened. I'm of the belief they're not going to worry about Schedule 1, Schedule 2. That will fall by the wayside when all of a sudden there's enough federal ammunition to get the whole thing passed that is no longer legal because that will just automatically wipe it off the DEA schedule. Right now dealing with the DEA, obviously they have a mandate. This is still an illegal drug. I don't believe logically from a government base point they're the right place to start or to – wage the battle. I think that's a front you can leave uncovered because essentially they're neutralized because of the Far Roorback Amendment. Where all efforts need to be focused is convincing sufficient amounts of legislators to pass a bill saying that l- marijuana is no wa- longer an illegal substance.
0: Period. End of story. Go after End of story. It. Do it that way. Um, the separation of uh, federal and state power is a fascinating discussion for so many classrooms around the country, I'm guessing. It's been going on in this country, I believe, for generations, historically since the very beginning, I think. Since the very beginning.
1: As you're taught in law school, the very first thing is that federal law trumps state law.
0: Oh, you had to use that word. Sorry, my bad.
1: (laughs) Unfortunately, right now, it is the rule. But um, on a realistic note, we have to look at the fact that The feds are empowered to do something about it, but there are still 30 states that are now garnering sufficient tax money to make it something that they're not going to go away quietly. I know through um, people I know who are higher up in some of the different governments, uh, state governments, that in the event there was going to be any kind of federal ripple, any kind of federal issue that was going to potentially stop the sale of cannabis, all of these district attorneys, all these governments that are collecting tax revenue are ready to go into court in a heartbeat's notice and file restraining orders against the government, which would then embroil the government in a constitutional fight. And if you know anything about constitutional law, that's a very long, drawn out process that essentially will only be decided by the Supreme Court if and when it finally reaches that point. But the states are not going to, at this point, give up billions of dollars in tax revenue. They're not going to fire police. They're not going to lay off teachers. They're not going to close schools. They're not going to close fire stations. The horse is out of the barn. The cow followed him. Consequently, it is just a little too big of a mess to try to stuff back in.
0: Yeah. T- amazing to me. It, it really is a, a, a democracy in action in so many ways. And it's capitalism 101, supply and demand. Um, so many of these basic factors that anybody who's gone through a basic education understands these these differences. And yet it's a unique category because it has been propagandized. It's been it's been made into this evil weed for so long. They're fighting decades and decades of anti-cannabis propaganda. How how can legislators sit there and say, you know, my constituents voted this legal? How do I, as a as a representative of their wishes? Fight it. He they they shouldn't I don't understand why it's taken it takes so long for this to move forward or is that the norm when it's a new industry like this?
1: It's not necessarily the norm, but this has had such a bad reputation for so many years. And unfortunately we keep enhancing that reputation and let me explain. I'm of the belief, being obviously my age, coming up with ailments that myself and other friends have, that the nomenclature they use for Marijuana for sale in uh, any kind of dispensary is just horrible. How many people do you you know want to go in and buy AK-47 to relieve Crohn's? Or I can give you a list of names that have so many squares attached to them. It's just I wouldn't want to bring a small child in. If I have, let's say, God forbid, some kind of cancer, I don't want to have Alaskan Thunderfuck. Pardon my language. It's okay. <laughs> I, until we change the nomenclature to match the illness, or at least to give some kind of indication that it is a medical drug, we're shooting ourselves in the foot.
0: Interesting. So you, you're, it sounds like you accept it as a medicinal product, but you do you have some, you're still uh, proposing that the, uh, We should be embracing the legalization of it, too.
1: I'm looking for conformity. I'm looking. I understand that the drug culture has forced to nonconform. It has had to hide and it has to be uh, it's been done in the shadows. There is definitely a stigma attached to the fact that, oh, I smoke cannabis. But the truth of the matter is there's no need for that stigma anymore. It's less dangerous in my beliefs than drinking.
0: Oh, 114 times less toxic, according to many studies.
1: Empirical data has shown—I've seen with my own eyes—the medical use. I've met, I've worked with a number of veterans groups to see what it's done for veterans, and some of it has been beyond belief. Other people suffering from long-term painful medical conditions that have shown relief from cannabis, either a tincture, oil, or just smoking leaf directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's incumbent upon us, the people who are helping getting it into the mainstream, to sit down and think, what can we do to accelerate it? And the only way to accelerate it is to put it into the kind of form that Americans are used to. We can no longer stay nonconformist. If we want to be part of the scene, we have to be part of the people. We have to have vision. We have to have the same kind of window dressing, the same kind of beliefs that mainstream America does. We cannot just simply say we're counterculture. We're staying that way. If we want to see this grow the way we watch Canada take off, Germany, all the other different countries, we have to embrace what our consumers are calling for.
0: Yeah. And uh, to me, that's the American way and that Democracy rules, and people want it, and they should be able to uh, have access to it. Uh, education is the key here and so many factors. Um, I just had a lobbyist, Kamani Jefferson, in here talking a little bit about the importance of education and how much education is needed, not just for the person who doesn't understand it at all. But even for the people like myself who've had a medical card for three years, I still am struggling with the dosing. I still can't figure out why an edible does this and a tincture does that. And when I uh, smoke it, it does this. And when I vape it, it does that. I mean, there's so many different effects. And this is for someone who's, you know, I've been a regular supporter and user of it, not just with my... Um, for my medical card for my arthritis, which, of course, anybody who can look at my fingers knows that I've got horrible arthritis in my whole body. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been listening to In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, a podcast that focuses on the beginnings of a new world, legal cannabis in Massachusetts. Kamani Jefferson has been our in-studio guest. This podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and the CLNSmedia.com network. You can also find the video recording of this entire program on theweedtude.com. Coming up on the next few episodes of In the Weeds, Bob Carp joins me in studio. He is one of the most, the foremost legal authorities on building a cannabis business and the author of the Marijuana Business Licensing Guide of 2017, plus four more books about licensing and setting up your cannabis business. That's coming up next on In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. In the Weeds is a podcast produced at the studios of Little Park Media in Wellesley, Massachusetts for the listening enjoyment of our audience. None of the opinions or advice on this program should be considered medical advice or a substitute for seeing a certified medical marijuana practitioner or your local physician. All opinions and thoughts on this show do not necessarily represent the management of CLNS Media Group or Little Park Media.